Well, friends, would you uh, turn with me, please, to the words that we read in Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3, and uh, reading verses uh, 14 through to 19 again. Ephesians 3, from verse 14. Paul writes, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit, in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Every few months, Andy Pearson, minister in St. Peter's Free Church in Dundee will text me and ask how I'm getting on, and then he'll ask, and how is the congregation getting on, and how can I pray for you? If someone were to ask you today, how can I pray for you, and how can I pray for the congregation that you are part of, how would you answer Well, this morning we're continuing our studies in Paul's letter to the Ephesians, and we're looking at the way that Paul prays for the Ephesian church, how he prays, who he prays to, and what he prays for. And we're going to look at it under two headings, the conduct and then the content. The conduct, then the content. So first we have the conduct. Look at verses 14 and 15, where Paul focuses on how he prays, and not only how he prays, but who he prays to. Now, before proceeding, let's remember the context. Paul has been speaking here about his gospel ministry. Uh, He has spoken about his amazement, his awe, that God would make him a minister of the gospel, back in verse 7. Then he's highlighted his announcement of the unsearchable riches of Christ and the fact that he is now shining a light on the hidden plan of God in verses 8 to 12. And then he had given an assurance to the Ephesians that he, even his suffering, even his imprisonment in Rome, is part of his service, part of his ministry uh, for the gospel, verse 13. And now Paul tells the Ephesians that as a minister of the gospel, he is laboring in prayer for them. Look at, we can begin by noting how Paul prays. Look at verse 14. We read, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father. Paul begins with the words, For this reason. He is thinking about everything that he has just said to the Ephesians up to this point. The fact that God had blessed them with every spiritual blessing in Christ in the heavenly places. The fact that God had chosen them for adoption into his family before the creation of the world. The fact that God had reached down and saved them when they were dead in sin and transgression. The fact that God had reconciled them to himself while they were without God and without hope in the world. The fact that God had included them in his plan of salvation, incorporated them into his people, made them citizens of his kingdom, members of his family, stones in his temple heirs of his inheritance, members of Christ's body, and partakers of his promise. And all this really serves as a launch pad from which Paul now engages in prayer for the Ephesians. Because God has done all of this for the Ephesians, all the way back even in eternity past, because God has done all this, 
Paul is not hesitant, he is not holding back about now praying to God on behalf of the Ephesians. And Paul tells them that he bows his knees in prayer. Now the normal posture for prayer was to stand. In Genesis 18, Abram stands before the Lord as he intercedes for Sodom and Gomorrah. Then in 1 Samuel chapter 1, Hannah stands before the Lord as she laments her childlessness. In 1 Kings chapter 8, Solomon stands before the Lord as he dedicates the temple to him. In Luke chapter 18, Jesus tells a parable about a Pharisee and a tax collector who went up to pray. And what did they do? They were standing. Then in Mark chapter 11, Jesus speaks to his followers about how they are to pray. And he says, you are to stand as you pray. Standing to pray was an expression of reverence before the King of Heaven. I've told you before that I'm going through Downton Abbey right now. I, I love Downton Abbey. And, and any time one of uh, the earls or ladies walks into the room, all the servants rise up in reverence and respect for Lord and Lady Grantham and all the rest of the people. And when the Lord is present, when he is in a building even like this, what should we be doing? We should be standing in many respects out of reverence for him. If we were in a Southern Baptist convention, we would even be standing for the reading of his word because that is when God speaks to us through his word. We stand to listen to him. But there were certain occasions when men and women knelt to pray. In Ezra chapter 9, Ezra kneels as he confesses the great sin of the people that had led to their exile. In Daniel 6, Daniel kneels as King Darius prohibits prayer in the kingdom. In Acts, in Luke 22, Jesus kneels in prayer as he prays to the Father and says, If it be possible, then let this cup, let this death pass from me. And then in Acts chapter 20, Paul had knelt in prayer as he left the Ephesians, an event that many of those reading this letter could well recall, could easily recall. Kneeling to prayer was an expression of submission and emotion before the King of Heaven. And so here we find Paul telling the Ephesians that he is kneeling in prayer. His posture reflects his humble dependence upon God, his humble reverence toward God, but it also expresses his heartfelt concern, his heartfelt burden for the Ephesian church. Paul moves on though in verses 14 and 15 to speak about who he prays to. We read, for this reason I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. Paul tells the Ephesians that he is praying to the Father. Back in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus said to the disciples, this is how you are to pray, our Father who art in heaven. And throughout this letter we find Paul reminding the Ephesians again and again that they have been adopted into the family of this God whom they can now call Father. And here Paul tells the Ephesians that he is bowing the knees before the Father. And Paul develops this as he says that this Father is the one from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. To name something or someone in the ancient world was an expression of your authority over it, your sovereignty in some respects over it. And here Paul claims that his father, the heavenly father he is praying to, is the one who has named every family or clan in heaven and also named every family or clan on earth. The entire heavenly host and the entire 
creatures of the earth, those who revere him and reverence him, and those who resist him and reject him. So Paul's point here is that the one whom he is praying to is the one who created and exercises authority over the whole cosmos. That is whom he is praying to. And yet at the same time, Paul, the least of all the saints, as he said last week in the previous verses, the least of all the saints can call this cosmic creator Father. What a thought. Now, friends, as we consider these verses, I want us to reflect on how we pray and who we pray to. These verses show us how we are to pray. Paul is praying on his knees. His posture reflects his humble reverence before God and his posture reflects his heartfelt concern and burden for the Ephesian church. And friends, that is how we are to pray. We can pray standing, we can pray sitting, we can pray kneeling, we can even pray lying in our beds. But however we pray, we ought to display that humble reverence before God and also our heartfelt concern and burden for his people, his church, a a burden so great that it would literally drive us to our knees. These verses don't simply show us how we are to pray, but also who we are to pray to. Paul knew whom he was praying to. He was praying to the Father. And he was praying to the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. And friends, that is who we pray to. In his book, Knowing God, J.I. Packer writes, What is a Christian? The question can be answered in many ways, but the richest answer I know is that a Christian is one who has God for his Father. He carries on, you sum up the whole of New Testament religion if you describe it as the knowledge of God as one's holy father. If you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much he makes of the thought of being God's child and having God as his father. If this is not the thought that prompts and controls his worship and prayers, his whole outlook on life, it means that he does not understand Christianity very well at all. My friend, if you are here today, And you're a Christian. You're united to Christ by faith. You've given your life to Jesus. You have this immense privilege of calling the creator of the cosmos Father. Do you think much of that privilege? Or is it a case of, oh no, here I've got to go to church again. And isn't it windy? And wouldn't it be much more comfortable to just be sitting watching it online? You have the privilege of calling this God Father. And if you're here today and you're not a Christian, you're not united to Christ by faith, you've not given your life to Jesus, then this is what you're missing out on. And this is why I preach the gospel to you week by week and what I urge you to receive week by week, the the love of a heavenly father. I, I don't preach the gospel simply to say, I just want you to go to heaven. I preach the gospel to you because I want you to know, friend, the love of a heavenly Father. So as we reflect on these verses, I want to ask, how are you praying? And who are you praying to? That's Paul's conduct. But we move from Paul's conduct to the content. Look at verses 16 through to 19, where Paul focuses now on what he prays for. Verses 16 and 17, we find Paul praying for strengthening. We read that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being 
so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Paul's praying here that the Ephesians would be strengthened in their inner being. He's speaking here about their innermost core, the the deepest level of a person, and he's praying that the Ephesians would be given strength in that inner being. He's not looking for a mere external change to take place in their lives where they somehow get their acts together in the eyes of the world. He is looking for an internal, inward, lasting transformation. And he prays here that they would be strengthened in their inner being by God's power through the Spirit. As we go through Paul's writings, we see that it's the Spirit who is the divine agent who effects true and lasting change in a person. It's not a minister coming along saying, let's see how you can change your life. It's not the elder coming along saying, let's see how you can change your life. It is the Spirit working at the deepest level of a person, changing them, transforming them, renewing them from the inside out. Paul goes even further, though, as he prays that they would be strengthened in their inner being by God's power through the Spirit, according to the riches of God's glory. This is the God who is infinitely powerful, the God who is full of might, the God who is rich in glory. And Paul is praying that this God might give the Ephesians strength by the Spirit according to the riches of his glory in accord with his immeasurable power. And finally, Paul prays that they would be strengthened in their inner being by God's power through the Spirit according to the riches of God's glory so that Christ would dwell in their hearts through faith. Here is the final goal. Here is the end result of the Spirit's strengthening supernatural work. Christ dwelling in a person. Now that word dwell refers to a permanent dwelling. A permanent residence. The idea of making a home. The idea of settling down. And Paul is praying here that the Spirit would strengthen the inner being of the Ephesians so that Christ would dwell in their hearts. He's praying that that, 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 that the Spirit would strengthen the inner being of the Ephesians so that Christ would feel at home within their hearts because sometimes he feels a bit like an unwelcome guest. Someone who is just tolerated in the heart, put up with in the heart, and Paul's saying, I want the Spirit to work in such a way in your hearts, dear Ephesians, that I am praying that the Spirit would strengthen your hearts by God's power according to the riches of his glory so that Jesus would feel at home in your hearts. Then in verses 17 to 19, we find Paul praying for understanding. We read that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Paul tells the Ephesians that they are rooted and grounded in Christ's love. They are rooted like plants in the soil of Christ's love. They are grounded like a building on the foundation of Christ's love. And Paul is praying here, that they would be given strength along with all the other saints, along with every other Christian, to comprehend the vast dimensions of Christ's love. It's a love that's deep. It's a love that's high. It's a love that's broad. It's a love that's long. And Paul's prayerful longing is that the Ephesians might comprehend just how vast that love is. That it's not this piddly little love, not just a little dose of love, but it's a, it's a vast love. But Paul moves one step further as he prays that the Ephesians would know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Verse 19. It's a love that he wants them to know. Not just know about, but actually 
No. Don Carson puts it this way. Paul is not asking that his readers might become more able to articulate the greatness of God's love in Christ Jesus or to grasp with the intellect alone how significant God's love is in the plan of redemption. He is asking God that they might have the power to grasp the dimensions of that love in their experience. In their experience. And this love that Paul wants the Ephesians to know, that he wants them to experience, is a love that surpasses knowledge. A love that can never be fully understood. A love that can never be properly measured. A love that you, you can't really put properly into words. But that doesn't stop Paul from praying that the Ephesians might know that they might understand a little bit more of that immeasurable love. And then finally, we find Paul praying for filling. Look at verse 19. That you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Paul speaks here about the fullness of God. Throughout his letters to the Ephesians and Colossians that he wrote from prison in Rome, we hear Paul speaking about the fullness of God. It describes the the fullness of who God is, his moral perfection, the, the fullness of his holiness. The fullness of his faithfulness, the fullness of his mercy, the fullness of his justice, the fullness of his love. And Paul's praying here that the Ephesians would literally be filled to the full with the fullness of God. He's praying that they would come to spiritual maturity. He's praying that they would be holy as their heavenly father is holy. He's praying that they'd be faithful as their heavenly father is faithful. He's praying that they would be merciful as their Heavenly Father is merciful. He's praying that they would be just as their Heavenly Father is just. He's praying that they would be loving as their Heavenly Father is loving. He is praying that they would increasingly look more like their Father in Heaven, that they would be increasingly more like their Father in Heaven. You see, according to Paul, spiritual maturity isn't rising up in the church hierarchy where you become a deacon, an elder, a minister. That's not spiritual maturity. Don't think for one moment that the minister of this congregation is somehow more spiritually mature than the person who has been a member of this congregation or even attending this congregation for 10 years, 20 years, 30 years. That's not the case. According to Paul, spiritual maturity isn't about acquiring more biblical knowledge. It's not where you're like a walking encyclopedia and you just know more and more things about the gospel and you can start explaining that. And if you were in a Bible quiz at the golf club or something like that, you would take first place. That's not spiritual maturity. According to Paul, spiritual maturity isn't about ever-increasing busyness in the congregation where once upon a time you used to just sit on a Sunday, but now you're working in the congregation Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. You never have a spare moment and you're thinking to yourself, that's maturity, that's not maturity. According to Paul, spiritual maturity is about the beautiful character of God being seen and formed in the lives of his people. They're being filled to the full with the fullness of God. So friends, as we reflect on these verses, I want us to reflect on what we are to pray for. We are to pray for strengthening. A spiritual strengthening, a supernatural strengthening in our inner beings so that Christ might dwell and feel at home in our hearts. You see, Paul knew all about the presence of indwelling sin in the heart of a Christian, the very place where Christ chooses to dwell. 
And he's praying that the Spirit would do such a work in the inner being of these Ephesians that Christ would dwell there, that Christ would settle there, that, that Christ would feel at home there. One writer puts it this way. Imagine that you have to move in with a new family. And the family opens their home to you. They invite you to come in so you enter and take up residence. But these people are pigs. They never throw out the trash or pick up their used dishes. They never bath or change the baby's diapers. They never leave, they leave food to rot on the cabinets and in the refrigerator. They never sweep, mop or dust. The house is full of all kinds of critters and creeping things. It is a deplorable mess. Now, you might live there, but you would never feel at home until the place was cleaned up. And the same is true with us. This verse is not about salvation, but it is about sanctification. The Lord dwells in our hearts by faith, but he is not at home in our hearts until we are under the control of the Spirit. When the Spirit of God controls us, he cleans up our lives, creating a comfortable home for the Lord Jesus Christ. Is your heart a comfortable home for the Lord Jesus Christ? Friends, will you pray for yourself? Will you pray for our congregation that we would be a people who are strengthened, supernaturally strengthened in our inner beings so that Christ would would feel at home in our hearts? These verses are also encouraging us to be praying for understanding, an ability to comprehend something of the vast dimensions of Christ's love that surpasses all knowledge. This is a love that can go deep enough to reach us however deep and dark the pit that we've sunk into is. This is a love that can go long enough, that can reach out to us no matter how far we may have wandered. Here's a love that nothing in all creation, not even death, can separate us from. Here's a love that is eternal and everlasting. It has no beginning. It has no end. Here's a love that is endurable, a love that isn't exhausted. However lukewarm, however lazy, however lethargic we might be, that love continues to go out to us. This is a love that can never be adequately explained, never adequately expressed by us. We might study theology for many years. We might be members in the church for many years, but we will never be able to fully express or explain that love. Here is a love that Christ simply wants us to experience and enjoy. And so we've been encouraged to pray for the understanding, to comprehend something of this vast love of Christ. Will you pray that for yourself? Will you pray it for those in our congregation, especially those who may have wandered during this pandemic and feel that they've used up their allocated allowance of Christ's love? I really believe that there are people in our congregation who have wandered during this pandemic and they feel like there's an allocation of Christ's love and it's just they've used it up. They've burnt their bridges. They're in debit, not in credit. And they need to be given that understanding of Christ's love. Will you pray that for them? And will you tell that to them? And finally, we've been encouraged to pray for filling. A filling to the full with the fullness of God. A few weeks ago, my dad was speaking about his brother Bill. And he was saying how like his own father Bill's getting, there's this family resemblance. And when people look at a Christian, they should be able to say they are getting more and more like their Heavenly Father. 
His fullness has been seen in them. And it's not because of anything they've done, it's because of the the Father's work in them. And so, friends, we are being encouraged to pray that we would be filled to the full with the fullness of God. Will Will you pray that for yourself? Will you pray it for our congregation, that when people look at us as individuals, but also as a congregation, they'd say, you know what? They look more and more like the Heavenly Father whom we read about in Scripture. Well, I began by speaking about my friend Andy asking how he can pray for our congregation. Let me close by asking, what will you pray for our congregation? And not just our congregation, but also congregations like Andy's and Dundee who are praying for us. Or our sister congregation in Kenna Street. Or the back congregation as they prepare to welcome a new minister into their community and into their congregation on Friday. What will you pray for those congregations? What will you pray for our congregation? Will you pray that we would be strengthened in our inner beings so that Christ would dwell in our hearts? Will you pray that we would be given a deeper understanding of the vast dimensions of Christ's indescribable, immeasurable love? And will you pray that we would be filled to the full with the fullness of God, that we would increasingly look like our Heavenly Father?